0: Nixon's jowls were wobbling in anger when a young Foreign Service officer during Nixon's historic 1972 visit to China saved the President from embarrassment by refusing to interpret. Here is the story. I'm Chaz Freeman. Um, I joined the Foreign Service and with some difficulty got into the Chinese language course uh, and was designated as the interpreter for President Nixon's visit to Beijing. Uh, I found out about this in characteristic of the Nixon White House when somebody shoved some baggage tags through my mail slot in my front door in Cleveland Park, um, a section of Washington. Um, I had been cloistered in the operations center for two months writing papers. I was told that I wrote half of the president's briefing material. So here I was going on the trip, uh, and I discovered actually from Time Magazine, which carried a story about me with all the details wrong, um, that I was the interpreter. So got on the plane, the backup to Air Force One, and flew via California to Hawaii. The Secretary of State, William Rogers, was totally uninterested in this trip and didn't seem to know very much about the history of U.S. relations with the region, or China for that matter. Uh, Nobody would tell me what I was expected to do. I talked to Haldeman, Ehrlichman, Ziegler, Dwight Chapin, and finally Brent Scowcroft, who was running the airlift. He was a colonel in the Air Force at the time. Um, and a uh, skinny guy I met on the beach. And uh, so um, he, he said, well, you, got, you should go talk to Pat Buchanan. And um, I did. Um, and nobody knew what I was to do, but um, I learned something about the preparations that I didn't know. So we got to Shanghai. I had uh, written a briefing book for Mrs. Nixon in which I counseled her not to wear a red coat because that was the color of marriage or prostitutes. And um, she, of course, wore a red coat, so much for my uh, clout with the, uh, with the White House. But everything went well. We got into Beijing, checked into the Dao Yutai Guesthouse, um, and I got a message around 3.30 in the afternoon. The uh, president wants to see you. So I went over to his villa, expecting to be told what he wanted me to do. Um, And he came in, he was a bit taller than I, and um, there was a big groove in his nose with three black hairs coming out of it, uh, on which there were little bits of Max Factor makeup. I had practically never seen a man in makeup outside a television studio before, so this was a little uh, uh, impressive. Uh, He just said, I've heard great things about you, glad to meet you, and turned around and went out. Uh, so I still didn't know what I was to do. He then went off to see Chairman Mao by himself with nobody from the State Department. About 8.30, when he, by, he got, I got called back over to his villa, and Dwight Chapin, who was the appointment secretary, came out and he said, the President wants you to interpret his banquet toast tonight. I said, fine. Um, may I see the text? He said, I don't think there is a text. I said, well, Mr. Chapin, I think I know you're wrong about that. He said, no, no, the president's gonna do this extemporaneously. I said, no way. Um, Go in and see the president and get the text, please. So he comes out and he says, there is no text and the president orders you to interpret. And I said, Mr. Chapin, it might interest you to know that I wrote the draft of this banquet toast. And I have learned that some of Chairman Mao's poetry has been inserted into it. And if you think I'm gonna get up in front of the entire world and ad-lib Chairman Mao's poetry from an unknown English translation back into Chinese, you're out of your mind. So I won't do it. I was 27. He reached in his pocket, took out the text, gave it to the Chinese, who read it and immediately said to me, what is this poetry? And we researched together, and about 9.30, dinner started. It had all been delayed because of the Mao meeting. I was sitting across the table from the president, whose jowls were wobbling in anger as he looked at me. I thought, You know, this is the end of my career, obviously. I won't even get a job in the Alaska Forest Service. The guy next to me, who later was president of China, uh, Li Xianyan, he could see that I was condemned. So he offered me a cigarette and I took it. So I know exactly when I started smoking and where and why the condemned man took the cigarette and smoked for the next 30 years. and Enlai was very kind, he talked to me across the table. Nixon had no small talk. The next morning, it snowed in Beijing. And I managed to persuade the Chinese to let me go out to the biggest bookstore in Beijing to buy books. And I got there and I discovered there was nothing other than Marx, Engels, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao. And uh, the Little Red Book had been retired because uh, it had an introduction by Lin Biao, who had run a coup d'etat attempt uh, the previous fall, so that you couldn't get that. Uh, but I was looking for something called the 24 dynastic histories, or the 25, perhaps. Every dynasty in China has an, an official group of historians who do the history of the previous dynasty, which is why Chinese records are so incredibly detailed. Um, I, I had been told by the CIA incorrectly, that um, the 25th history, meaning that of the Republic of China, the rump state of which was on Taiwan, had now been written. I wanted to buy it. No luck. Cut back to uh, into the groove of the visit, and and uh, Enlai said to me, I understand you went to the bookstore this morning, and uh, you were looking for the 24 histories. And I, I said yes. And he said, Well, tell the president what they are. And so I did. And uh, uh, the, uh, he said, Well, because you're so interested in this, I'm going to give two sets of the 18th century edition of these histories to the United States one to the State Department, still in the State Library, you can see it, uh, and one to the White House, that's out in the Nixon Library. Uh, we go from Beijing to Hangzhou, where the final negotiation of the Shanghai Communique was done. Uh, It's an informal evening. Um, I've got two Korean war vets, major generals in the Chinese People's Liberation Army on either side. And in Chinese culture, you never drink without toasting someone. So I toasted them furiously and they got drunk as hell. Right in the middle of this, Nixon said, which is how you call a dog in China, by the way, you call a person like this. But anyway, (laughs) come over. And uh, um, he said, I want to apologize to you. And there were tears in his eyes. He said, I shouldn't have done that. Of course, I know now why he did it, um, why he lied about the text He wanted to appear to be delivering it extemporaneously. He'd memorized it. And um, he was afraid I'd stand up there with a text. I have a good enough memory, I wouldn't have needed that. But anyway, he said, uh, I I, I want to, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have done that. He said, I want you to interpret something uh, between me and the premier in private. And I, there was a Chinese interpreter there, Nancy Tong, grew up in Brooklyn. Um, And he said, uh, Mr. Premier, I want you to take note of this young man. I I interpreted that. He said, because I think he may be our first ambassador to China. And I said, Mr. President, I'm embarrassed. And please allow the Chinese to interpret that. And Nancy did. What went through my head was, He's saying, either you're gonna to have to wait 50 years till this guy grows up before we have an ambassador, or we're gonna send you the least consequential, least qualified person we can think of uh, to represent us in your country. And that's just totally inappropriate. Uh, so I guess I, I complicated my relationship with him again. Although, down the road, uh, we actually had many encounters and uh, uh, I became very admiring of his skill as a negotiator. Uh, So that was my debut as an interpreter, to refuse to interpret. Thanks for listening to Tales of American Diplomacy, a Tex-Harris initiative for the Association for Diplomatic Studies and Training, a personal life story produced by POS Productions. Donate to support our work at adst.org, because diplomacy matters now more than ever.